The biggest hurdle between me and eating healthy, delicious meals for lunch is decision fatigue. Honestly, by the time lunchtime rolls around, I've already made like a thousand decisions from what my toddler should wear to how much I want to argue with her about how you have to brush your teeth in the morning, you know? <laughs> for sure, for sure. No, I absolutely agree. And like I have taken to doing meal preps or like buying a bunch of ready to eat meals to like heat up quickly. And I recently tried Factor. And let me tell you, Factor is like 12,000 steps above and beyond any ready to meet eat meal I have ever tried before. That's right. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef curated, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And there are more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started and get after your goals. I tried the two-minute meals where I could fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are. And they also offer pancakes, smoothies, and more. There's a wide variety of easy options throughout the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Plus, there's no prep and no mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup required. Factor is also flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor is the perfect solution when you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. And you don't want to make any more decisions because you're exhausted, like me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash justbreakup50 and use code justbreakup50 to get 50% off. That's code justbreakup50 at factormeals.com slash justbreakup50 to get 50% off. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to be tackling topics like breaking the truth, nope, breaking the touch barrier, being the single friend, and the pains of hindsight. But before we begin, we want to give you our Surgeon General's warning, which is that Sierra and I are not met licensed mental health practitioners or relationship counselors. We're just two friends who thought it would be fun to start a podcast. We were like, hey, we've had lots of weird relationships. Maybe we can help other people with their weird <laughs> relationships. And turns out everyone's relationship is weird. That's what I've discovered through Everybody. this entire process. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Sam and I are not professionals. We are not trained in this. Um, please take our advice as you see fit. We are only here to offer our very humble musings to hopefully shed some understanding and maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding, but mostly confusing and weird, according to Sam, experience that is love. <laughs> All right. So this week's check in topics is inspired by a letter writer. Um, and it's a quick little letter, so I'm going to read it fast. It's from someone who is called Conflict Avoidant, whose pronouns are she, her, who is writing to us from People Pleasing USA. Mm. Um, hi, I love you both. I think I have more of a check-in topic. I've been doing a lot of head and heart work regarding my people-pleasing habits and conflict avoidance. I've made some progress, which is a little bit scary at times, but also freeing and exciting. Here's mm -hmm. my question. When do people who are good at conflict and or 
direct communication, process hurt feelings, and have broader conversations within romantic partnerships. I don't mean big problems that need to be immediately addressed in the moment. I'm referring to smaller things. The quote, I know it wasn't intentional, but my feelings were hurt when you said X, Y, and Z the other day type of things. Similarly, when do people bring up more serious relationship check-ins, i.e. topics that may not lead to a conflict, but that may be heavier or more emotional? This might seem silly, but I genuinely don't know. These skills definitely weren't modeled in my extremely conflict-avoidant family. Oftentimes, I'll realize a few days later that something rubbed me the wrong way, but the time seemed wrong, or I think to myself, oh, but we're having such a fun time right now, I'll bring it up later, but then I don't do it. Or I'll want to have another where is this going type conversation and what's preventing me from doing so isn't so much the fear of the result, but literally not knowing when slash how. Do you have Mm. any advice on being more intentional about this or scripts to use? I really want to get out of the habit of sweeping my feelings under the rug, and I'd like to be more authentic to to myself. I have a very kind and receptive partner, so it isn't like I'll be met with anger. This is really just a me issue. Thanks for any musings you might have, XOXO. Oh, conflict avoidant. I know. Thank you for writing and for asking us this question because um turns out I love talking about conflict. So <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> Time out. Are, do you think people there are people who are good at conflict, like the letter writer supposes? Mm-hmm. Um I think that there or, are people who are practiced at conflict. Yeah. Um, I was gonna say, like, are people more comfortable with the discomfort of it? Like yeah. I don't know if anybody is like perfect at conflict. No. Um, and also like you can be a really direct person and still be really bad at conflict, right? Like, you you <laughs> yeah. can still like, you can be a dick and be really direct, <laughs> right? And like make things worse all the time by being as direct as you are. Um, so like, it's interesting because it's like, I don't like conflict is inevitable. Like it happens in all relationships, right? Cause it's like impossible to avoid disagreements about things. And especially yeah. if we're in relationships where we like deeply care about the other person. Um, it's pretty common that like, we're going to have disagreements about it. But I, I think sometimes we think about conflict as being like, we're going to punch each other, <laughs> right? Like we're literally <laughs> going to like fight. Um, when really it's more about just like, how are we moving through disagreements in a way that feels like it's helpful for us and where we get at least some of our needs met. Um, But yeah, like, I don't think that anyone is like born good or bad at conflict. (laughs) I think it's more like, how have you been practicing doing Mm -hmm. it? And what's your level of comfort with doing it? And have you like done the things to set yourself up for success in conflict in relationships too, which is like talking about how you want to handle conflict before the conflict happens, Mm, mm -hmm. right? Like, because in conflict, right, we're going to be like, we're going to revert back to our, our like most broken styles, right? Lizard, broken lizard brain. Absolutely. Right. So like when we're exactly what, you know, conflict avoidance says in the letter of like, yeah, when I'm in conflict, my first reaction is to do exactly what my parents taught me to do or my family taught me to do, which is to avoid the conflict, right? Like, because it's a, it's like a fight or flight type of situation. So um, part of what can be helpful is to like talk to your partner and be like, hey, how do you, how would you like to receive feedback from me if you've done something that's rubbed me the wrong way? Like, what would it look like? What would be helpful for you? Here's what Mm. I need, which is that it's going to be hard for me to tell you in the moment because I need some time to process emotionally Mm -hmm. and like 
I'm also like pretty indirect in this way too, where it's like, I need to gauge how upset I actually am. Right. Right. Like, is this a reaction or a response? Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Um, and I love people who can be like, Oh, nope, this is upsetting to me. So I'm going to like tackle it. That is like, just not how I can process through things. So being really clear about that can be super helpful. Um, but it is hard. Like, I don't think conflict ever gets easy or even comfortable. I think it just gets to a point where you're like, I've done this before. And I know that the world doesn't mm-hmm. end. Right. And the, like, com- the discomfort is temporary. Yes, absolutely. And that discomfort can be helpful too. Right. Mm-hmm. Like when we, when we actually like talk to our partners and I'm like, Hey, here's this thing that's been really bothering me. And the partner is like, thank you for telling me, I'm sorry that that happened. And here's what I'm going to try to do differently. Mm-hmm. Like then we can be like, oh, well that discomfort like led to a very positive result, mm-hmm. right? Like it changed mm-hmm. the thing that was causing me discomfort or like the thing that was like affecting our relationship. But we don't know that until we've like tried it out often. And so our, yeah. our fear can sometimes get in the way with that. So like, I feel you conflict avoidant. Like very few of us, I think are taught to manage conflict in a productive way. Like very few of us yes. have been modeled productive ways to, to handle it. Um, yes. and that's really challenging. Yes. I also enjoy this question because of the like logistical aspect of it, of like, when do these questions, the, do, do these conversations happen? Y'all can't see the letter, but the whens are capitalized, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> when in time and space do people yeah. bring these feelings forward or have these hard conversations? Um, and I think that that's so real. Like you think like, oh, well, I can't bring this up after it happens because it would be retroactive and awkward, you know, Mm -hmm. or like, how do I make space for my discomfort when I no longer feel uncomfortable? Like when I'm over my feelings, Mm -hmm. but I want to bring it up, you know, I'm not in that hot heated moment, that, that reactive moment. Um, And also the question of like, when do you bring up more serious, potentially conflict-esque conversations in relationships? Like, are you, you know, do you want to have children? Do you want to move in? Or, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, uh, can you share a workload around the house a little bit more? You know, these these conversations that are not necessarily arguments, but that yeah. could lead to some sensitive feelings. Like, when do you bring that up? Like, over dinner when you guys are, like, laughing about your day and in a great mood, you know? Mm-hmm. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> let's, uh, let's answer the first one first. Like, when... Do people bring up um, hurt feelings or have, uh, as the letter writer says, broader conversations within romantic partnerships? Like, is it in the moment? Is it afterwards? And I think mm-hmm. I will just cut to the chase and say, I think it's different. Like, Sam is the expert here on different yeah. styles of conflicts and that there's no right or wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you can speak to that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like when we're thinking about time, the time we need to like process things, um, as you're thinking about folks who are more direct in how they handle conflict, right? So that's more of like, I'm going to go directly to the person. We're going to talk about the issue in as few words as possible. We're going to leave our emotions out of it and we're going to tackle what what we're going to do about it, right? Sort right. Of that, that what we think of as being the best model, um, at least in the United States for how to handle conflict. Um, and then we think about folks who may be more indirect, who are less inclined to go directly to the person who need more time to process through what they're feeling, what they're thinking. And, um, 
may also find other ways of talking about the issue rather than saying like, this is the thing that's bothering me. Can we change it? And instead might tell a story or use a metaphor, may sort of talk around the issue rather than just going directly as a way to not feel like they're attacking the other person, right? To not feel like they're, they're like hurting the other person by calling them out on something. So more direct people process their feelings in the moment and also after they've handled the conflict, right? Direct people want to get the conflict over with so that then they can figure out what they need to do next. Folks who are more indirect need to process before they're able to address the conflict or before they would prefer to address the conflict. Neither of those is a bad thing, right? Those are both really helpful ways of handling conflict. So my guess is, is that you might be a little more indirect. So it makes sense that you need some processing time. Like that's not a bad thing, right? Yeah. Are you, are you behaving poorly in that processing time? Like that's another question, right? Like, are you, are you making digs at the person? Are you like withholding, like, like, there are some for sure unhealthy ways that we can process through things. But if you're doing the thing where you're like, I just need some time to figure out how upset I am by this or like figuring out exactly what is upsetting me or like how I want to talk about this, like that is perfectly healthy and helpful yeah. in managing yeah. conflict. So to answer your question, people who are more direct process afterwards. You as somebody who might be more indirect want to process before. And both of those yeah. are okay. We just need to be aware of them. Yeah. And I feel like I, I feel like I'm to just paint another example. Like I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle. I, I'm probably more direct, but like more of like less effective in that way, <laughs> because uh, what I'm thinking of is like oftentimes like when I feel when I get my feelings hurt or I, I interpret something, um, I'm very reactive, um, mm-hmm. but it takes me reacting and, and almost like feeling out the parameters of that reaction to be like, wait a minute, what's real here? Was this a, was this a wound that came up? Is this something real? Am I hungry? You know, like what Mm -hmm. is causing this reaction? And then like processing through it, then I get to my real feelings of like, Oh, this hurt my feelings because it made me feel like you might not love a part of me or this Mm. made me feel sensitive because I didn't feel valued or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, it's funny. Like, I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle where like I have that direct reaction, but the, but the true processing comes out later. And sometimes I wish I could be a little bit more of a later processor because I don't always like that. I like have to do this like jumbled journey to get to what my real feelings are. For sure. But, to what you say, like, and what we talk about on the podcast, like I am proud of the fact that I can always get there and apologize Mm -hmm. or like be proactive in adjusting those reactions and behaviors in the moment. I just can't always like stop them in their tracks. Well, yeah. And it sounds like you're, you're more emotionally expressive, right. And how you process through and how you show the other person that you're feeling something, right. Like part of it is also like you just being like, I want you to see that I'm hurt right now. So I'm going to, I'm going to process through big emotions in front of you yeah. and I might be angry and I might be sad. I might be crying. I might be saying things like that's like more emotionally expressive. And again, like in the United States, we've been taught that emotional restraint is the best way to handle conflict where instead of yeah. getting like big, we'll actually just get smaller with our bodies. Right. We'll like, yeah. well, you can see like the energy go down. Like we might actually like even sit down to like demonstrate that we're like, calming ourselves. Um, and so like 
people who are more emotionally expressive are often sort of like vilified as being out of control a lot, even though processing through the emotion, saying things that are that we may not mean and then being like, I didn't mean that I was in the moment isn't a bad thing if Mm. you and your partner have agreed to the Mm -hmm. way that that happens. Right. So that if Willow can say like, yeah, it's actually I understand that when you're upset, you say things that are or you react in a way that like can be a little intense for me. Right. And I also recognize that you're not out of control and you're just trying to tell me how much you care or how hurt you are. And I can see that even if I'm having some like internal stuff about it. But it's about like, how are we recognizing that this that these ways of handling conflict are not bad necessarily? Yes. Right. Like screaming or like calling people names or whatever. like, Like that's not okay. But like. Getting big yeah. with our emotions is not a problem. It just means we're trying to show people that we're, we're having a feeling. <laughs> like, Yes, totally. I was just thinking, you're totally right that like Willow and I have this agreement about like, we don't say malicious things. We never, yeah. and we don't really shout either. Um, like we don't say things that like, uh, I was just going to say can't be taken back, but that sort of undercuts what I'm about to say. But you know what I mean? We don't, we're not mean, you know, I never, my, yeah. my pain never comes out in like name calling or whatever, but she has said to me, and I love this. She said, you know, you're always allowed to, um, rearticulate yourself. You're always allowed to try mm. again, you know? And so mm-hmm. sometimes when I come, when I say something in the moment, it's not that it comes out like aggressively or cruelly ever, um, and that's important to me that it doesn't, but it yep. will come out and it'll stumble. And then I'll say, no, no, this is what I mean. You know? Mm-hmm. And I love that she gives me that space to like re to try again, to, to, to hone that message. For sure. For sure. Absolutely. Um, the second question. Uh, so when do people bring up more serious relationship check-ins? And I think this is like almost specifically I'm imagining or assuming, I guess, referring to like, you're having a good day and you want to bring up something that might be a bummer. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like those moments of like, well, when the fuck do I address the fact that like, I need you to help me out around the house when we're having like a great weekend, you know, Mm -hmm. or maybe like I'm feeling insecure and I need more support. Like, when do you, when do you give yourself permission to share that with your partner? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's, it's funny because it, um, I think sometimes when we think about conflict, it's like, oh, after that, everyone's going to be really sad and hurt and feel bad, (laughs) right? Like if I bring up this thing and we're having a good day, it means that the rest of the day is going to be awful. Um, Yeah. And I think what I've learned uh, from trying to practice like conflict management with people is that like actually because we're, because Peter and I are practiced in it, we can bring up hard stuff on a good day and then return to the good day, right? Like it can be like, hey, I actually wanted to talk to you about this thing that's been sort of upsetting me or this thing that I'm Mm -hmm. really concerned about. And then we have a conversation about it and then we figure it out and then we check in with each other and are like, are we, are we good? What's happening? And then it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. cool. Let's go like have a beer on the patio or something, right? To like get back to it. But because, because we've done it so many times, it doesn't feel like, it's a big end of the world type of thing. It just feels like part of our relationship means that like, we're going to have to talk about stuff that's challenging on happy days (laughs) because that's what it looks like to be in partnership with each other. Yes. I think um, similar to like the different conflict styles. um, I wonder if there are different repair styles too, Mm -hmm. you know, um, 
are you are you somebody who like needs time to like reset your attitude or re, you know you need time to like yep. I don't know like repair yourself or is that something that you can like I think something that Willow and I practice is just like committing to the end of it to be like okay so we had that conversation and yep. now we're going to we're going to move on we're going to trust one another that we are are in it together that we that we both um respect one another and that we want to return to ourselves. We want to repair yeah. well. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there are definitely different styles or needs in people. But ultimately I want the letter writer to like walk away with the sense that bringing up needs or bringing up potentially opening that Pandora's box of conflict is a part of life and doesn't make them a overly emotional, needy, messy or detrimental human like that, that mm -hmm. is that they, you know, we, I would say like, there's no right or wrong time, but obviously it's like not at somebody's like birthday party. Do you <laughs> tell them, you know, you want to break up with them, but yeah, also right, right, like, right. <laughs> but also, you know, like Sam said, that conflict is a part of life and it's part of a happy life. So, um, I guess I just want to give our listeners permission to stop looking for the perfect time to bring it up. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think to get to Sierra's point, you can have a conversation about what you need for repair too, mm -hmm. right? Because it might be like, okay, what I need is a to-do list, right? I need yeah. to know the things that I have to do or that you have to do to help repair this. Or it might be, we need to check in with each other. Like yeah. it might be, we need to touch each other. Like it, I was just going to say that. That's ours. We, right. we touch each other and then we like, move, we shift the mm -hmm. conversation, shift yeah, the energy. Absolutely. Yep. Same, right? Like Peter and I end most conversations around conflict with a, so this is about the conflict. Like this isn't about us, right? Like we're not mm, mad at each other. I love that. Right. Um, Maybe we do know what the fuck we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Sam and I joked before we recorded, it was actually like an outtake that we had to delete, but about like somebody jokingly called us like relationship experts. And I thought that was so fucking hysterical because I would never in a thousand years use that word. But you sound, you sound like, you know, what you're fucking talking about Sam Blackwell. <laughs> well, we're trying. We've been doing, we've been thinking and talking about relationships for four years now. So yeah. yeah. And before that, when I was in other relationships, I wasn't thinking or talking about it at all. I was just like free falling into chaos. <laughs> you were just like a pinball, just like boop, 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 Bouncing boop, around, just all man. over the place. Yep. <laughs> Might be like the paddles on the bottom, just trying to like keep yeah. you from falling in the hole. <laughs> yeah. So, man, I'm normally like the chaotic metaphor giver in this duo, and that was all you, my friend. Um, anyway, conflict avoidant. Thank you for this very juicy check-in topic. I hope it gives you um, some encouragement and support and some insight on how you can bring some healthy conflict into your life. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks for giving us the opportunity to talk more about conflict because I think it's important. Me too. All right. Our first letter comes from Sixpence None the Richer, whose pronouns <laughs> are she, her, and who is writing from Beneath the Milky Twilight. Beneath so. the Milky Twilight. <laughs> Great Man. song. Classic. Yeah. If y'all aren't supporting us on Patreon um, or... Uh, you should check out our Patreon because there's an episode in which Spencer makes us review love songs. And this is one of them. And I think Sam and I had like a collective emotional orgasm over this song. We did. It was, we did. It was, it was very intimate. <laughs> <laughs> it was the closest I've ever seen to see. You can be privy to, to that intimacy. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Sixpence writes, hi, Sam and Sierra. Thank you so much for all the work that you do. Your podcast is such a joy to listen to and has become part of my Monday morning routine, helping me get out of bed when I just want to lay around Aww. and prolong my weekend. I have a question about dating that I suspect others could maybe relate to. I would love to hear your ruminations on this topic. And I'm also super curious about whether this has come up in other letters and in what kinds of contexts others experience this issue. Like, is this just something that happens to me because I'm a heterosexual woman dating super timid feminist men? Or is this more of a universal problem? The question is... That is just such a vibe. Uh, Sorry. The question is, basically, how can I get better at breaking the touch barrier in early stages of dating? What can I do to signal to the people that I meet that I want to be touched? And how can I quiet my own anxiety about invading their personal space? I'm a woman who predominantly dates men. I feel like I often end up in situations where I am meet someone from a dating app and we go on multiple dates without kissing or any other physical contact besides maybe some hello and goodbye hugs. This can be an issue for me because without physical touch, the feelings that I develop tend to be more platonic than romantic. For me, an ideal first or second date would be permeated with small instances of physical touch, e.g. knees touching under the table, hand on my back when I go through a door, plucking a leaf off of my hair, and would end with some kissing. I feel like the men I meet are so often unsure if I want to be touched or otherwise can't find a smooth opportunity to touch me, perhaps because I talk so damn much and often about (laughs) unsexy and serious topics. Uh, Oh my God, (laughs) This can lead to a standstill because I also am hesitant to initiate contact unless I feel 100% confident that it will be appreciated and reciprocated. And of course, that's rare. I have in the past asked someone if I could kiss them on a first date, but I only did that because it felt supernatural and I felt really confident that they were into and attracted to me based on the things that they had said earlier. Most of the time, I just don't feel the same sense of ease and certainty with someone new. Surely there are a few factors playing a role here. Internalized patriarchy is definitely one. On some primal level, I guess I expect the man to make the first move, so I'm sort of waiting around for it. I definitely watched too many romantic comedies as a teenager to boot. Also, I have some insecurities that prevent me from initiating things. As a fat woman, I've struggled a lot in the past with my body image. And even though I'm embracing body positivity now, I feel like my base level expectation is that people aren't attracted to me unless they tell me otherwise. So then I feel uncertainty about whether my date would want to be kissed by me and I hold back. Lastly, I do find the whole business of touching and first kisses a a bit awkward. Mm -hmm. And so instead of embracing the awkwardness, I just do the easy thing and start some new conversation about local zoning law or whatever instead. (laughs) So, yeah, I guess I'm looking for general advice. But in terms of more specific questions, first, what can I do to better signal to my dates that I want them to initiate physical contact with me? I feel like a robot asking this question, but I guess I wonder whether there are certain nonverbal or behavioral cues that can move people into a kissing mode. And I just never learned them because I was a late bloomer. Second, how can I feel more empowered to initiate physical touch myself? How do I quiet the insecure insecure voice in my head and psych myself up to make a move? Is it just about embracing the awkwardness and uncertainty of dating? How do I do that? I would really appreciate your help. Thanks for reading. Oh, my darling, Sixpence None of the Richer, thank you so much for writing and for listening. I love this question, and I do Kiss me. think... I get it now. <laughs> yeah. The name of the song is Kiss Me, and that's what... Got it. Okay. <laughs> cute, 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 cute. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> uh, 
I think we get this question a lot. Um, I think the I think the biggest iteration we get is two two different forms of this question. One, um, heterosexual women trying to undo that social conditioning of the man always makes the first move and mm-hmm. two um queer people or bi- bisexual people newly dating in queer relationships trying to figure out how to break that similarly to break that dynamic yes. and um who who makes the first move whatnot um so yes this is not uncommon uh, we've seen this before um and i w- just like blanket caveat before we like get into this like you and all you all know like that they're respecting people's bodily autonomy um mm-hmm. asking for consent you know like we all know that and Sam and I in giving tips about like how to initiate touch we are there's a blanket statement that's like check the vibe ask for consent mm-hmm. and um don't do anything creepy how about that <laughs> anything else we need to cover there I like it no I love yeah. just blanket statement yeah don't be creepy Number Mm -hmm. one. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And if somebody's like, you're being creepy or don't touch me or no, thank you. I don't want to kiss you. Like go home. (laughs) (laughs) Be cool. (laughs) Right. Okay. Absolutely. I feel like I had to say that before I say what I'm about to say, which is like, um, you know, yeah, there are lots of little things that you can do in terms of the first and second date dynamics that might, I don't know, um, ease the ease the path into or like open start opening the physical door to touch mm-hmm. um and i guess even before i start saying some of my suggestions i also want to say like i relate to this like how do you how mm-hmm. do you um especially in this world in which we are talking a lot about consent and we are talking a lot about um we're ex- we're examining um sort of like predatory behaviors in dating and stuff like that. It's, it's hard to, I don't know, feel like you're doing the right thing by making the first move or feeling confident enough to like, I don't know, go out there, I guess. Do you relate to this? Put yourself yeah, out there. I mean, go yeah, out no, there. I think, um, I think that it's definitely really tricky to, to navigate this, um, this space of like, how do I touch? When do I touch? What is it? What does it look like? Um, and I think, I think that like, at least in my experience of, of dating queer men is that like, this is, this feels less fraught, um, mm-hmm. because of the, the difference in, in sort of the power dynamics of yes. heterosexual relationships or couplings, right? Like, re- like, here's what I'll say. Like, I, I dig the fact that these men that you're dating are like trying not to just touch you without your consent. You know what I mean? Like, I know. Like, I think that that's like a good thing. But I also think that like the fact that now that now it's like affecting you because it's like, how do I even navigate this um, is a challenge. Um, but I will say like, I, even in the circumstance where I feel like, especially queer men are like pretty touchy with each other, like pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, I still had definite instances where I went on dates with people and was like, are we going to kiss? Are we not going to kiss? Are we going to touch? Are we not going to touch? And it, like the, the discomfort of that, um, yes. was really real. Like the letter writer says, like the, the awkwardness. Yeah. And like, sometimes it feels magical where it's like, Ooh, are we not going to, are we going yeah, to? And, like, other times oh. it's just and other times it's like, ah, I'm so uncomfortable. Why is this yeah. happening? Why can't I literally just like reach out and grab this person's hand? Yes. Like, why is this so difficult for me? Um, and so That's I, I right definitely, there. I feel that for sure. Yeah. Um, 
And it's funny because like every time I'll, I'll, like I'm looking at my list of notes of things I want you to do, but also like if somebody was doing that to me and I wasn't into them, I'd be like, I hate this, <laughs> you know, like, uh, I don't know. I guess my number one thing is like, you, these people are going on dates with you because they're drawn to you, attracted to you, interested in you, right? Mm -hmm. So I guess the first step is opening the door of that possibility that they yep. are attracted to you, right? And that you are a beautiful sexual being who people are attracted to, right? Like, so first opening that like emotional door in yourself, I know that's easier said than, be, you know, easier said than done. Um, and then this next step would be like checking to make sure, like looking for their physical reciprocation, you know, and if they don't reciprocate, then you taking that as like a nonverbal sort of uh, non-consent, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but I would just like start out with like, I think direct eye contact, which I know is like, honestly, more, probably more vulnerable than like saying, will you kiss me? Yep. Um, but direct sustained <laughs> eye contact is like super sexy, vulnerable. And also it, it's, it, it, there is an openness there, right? There's, there's an invitation there, you know, they also show that like, there's a studies that shows that attraction increases with direct eye contact. So I would mm. just say, don't, it's not that you need to stop talking less. <laughs> I want you to keep talking about zoning laws, but like mm -hmm. sustain that eye contact a little bit into like the discomfort and see what comes from it. You know, maybe do a little like leaning <laughs> and if they like leaning, lean back, then yeah. you, yes, you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> eye contact and I, like, it sounds, I feel like kind of silly saying these direct things, but this is what they're asking for. You know, that's true. That's true. How do you initiate body? Um, how do you initiate touch with somebody who might want to touch you back? Um, eye contact, leaning in your, are, is your body facing them? You know, is your physical, is your body posture facing them? You know, when you're sitting with them, another one that I read online that was really cute. Cause I like Googled, how do you initiate touch on a first date without being creepy? And there was like a great Reddit thread. Uh -huh. Um, and now granted this, this thread was specifically from a heterosexual man who was like, I don't want to be, I'm really into this, per I'm excited about this first date. I want to see this. I want to like see where this goes, but I don't want to be a creep, not unlike these soft-spoken feminist men. <laughs> that yeah, there we go. Letter writer Maybe you dating. went on the date with that person and he yeah, was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and one of the responses on the Reddit thread was really cute. It, it said like, um, I found uh, that if I offer my arm <laughs> in, like a, in like a cute little romantic way, that, that is, is really like a cute. great, a safe, a non-sexual, but a safe way to like open up touch. And like, and the commenter said something like, I generally, there's a good response to that. And then if, if not, they can just say like, no, thanks. And then you've already started the conversation of whether or not touch is okay or not. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that was charming. So maybe you could be like, can I, if you could take their arm or like, you know, yeah. ask them if they can take their arm. Um, and then also like, uh, I know that it is awkward to say, um, do you want to kiss me? Or would you feel comfortable kissing me? Um, or can I kiss you? Mm -hmm. Also like, remember that, 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 like we said the, uh, in the check-in topic about conflict, like that discomfort is temporary. Yep. Um, 
especially if there's great payoff or like if they say no, then they're again, they're telling you something more about them mm-hmm. than they are about you. They're not, you know, they're not telling you a story about you. But I would also offer up the phrase like, I would love it if you would kiss me. I think that's cute and sexy and flirty. Yeah, <laughs> and that's I great. guess it's like it's like a little bit of like a gateway statement to help um mitigate some of those internalized uh dynamics in terms of gendered powered stuff you know i would love it if you would kiss me you're being direct you're talking about it but you don't you're not like i guess it's like a gateway drug to saying i'm gonna i can i kiss you (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like you're taking you're taking steps to get there which is baby steps yeah Yeah, absolutely our cultural conditioning is hard to unravel and so this is like the first little knot to untangle i would love it if you would kiss me hot sexy For sure. And like many of us are really unpracticed at asking for consent in a way that isn't, doesn't feel fraught, right? Like, and in a way where it's like, and so one of the things that you could also do is like, as you're going on dates with these people, you could say something like, Hey, just so you know, I'm, I'm kind of a touchy person. Like I like to touch people. Um, Are you okay? Right. Like, are you okay with that? Um, And then if they're like, yes, you can be like, and if I ever, like, if it ever goes like, if, or if you're ever uncomfortable, just let me know and I will stop. Right. But like, I think that I just, is it just so really like good. to touch people. Right. Like, and just make it part of your understanding of yourself. And, and they, and then if they, you will know if they're like, no, please don't touch me. Then like, okay, then this may be not the relationship for you because like you are really interested in touch. Um, totally. But I think, I think like finding ways to ask for consent in ways that don't feel like it's like, is it, okay for me to do this like every three seconds but to say like here's the thing do you are you okay with this and it's always okay for you to say no or for you to say like please don't do that right and I will respect that um I love that yeah and I I love that because it's not like you said it's not in this high pressure moment of like Mm -hmm. Do you want to kiss me or not? It's like, this is something about me that I'd like you to know. And I give yep. you full per- permission to like not be cool with that, you know? For sure. Cute, And cute, I think cute. one of the ways that we can deal with the awkwardness and uncertainty of dating is by recognizing that it's impossible to not have awkwardness and uncertainty in dating, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Because... Yep. Because you don't know this person. They are literally a stranger to you. You may have talked to them for months on the dating app and you still don't know even a quarter of 1% about them, right? Because they are unknowable to you uh, because you're not in their body. You don't have their experiences. You're not, you, you don't have their identities. All of those things are unknowable to you. So embracing the fact that like, yep, there's gonna be awkwardness in first dates and there's gonna be awkwardness in relationships that last a hundred years, right? Because yes, totally. we are, we are different people trying to figure out how to be in relationship with each other. So my advice to you, and I know that this is like really trite, but like is embrace it and recognize yeah. that there's, there's no controlling it. And that being awkward and being uncomfortable also allows us to figure out what the edges and boundaries and functions of our relationship are going to look like, right? To say like, ooh, that didn't go well. I'm going to have to try something else. Or, ooh, that didn't good well, go well. But now we have the opportunity to talk about it or to figure out what we're going to do next, right? Like that awkwardness and uncertainty is really uncomfortable for sure. But it is always present. Like it's always going to be there. And it can be really helpful in terms of figuring out how this relationship is going to function. 
Yeah, totally. I, I totally agree. Lean in, my love, my darling. Um, we hope that this helps. Thank you so much for writing. Absolutely. We love you. All right. Y'all know that Sam and I record every single episode of Just Break Up virtually. So I literally see this beautiful person on Zoom like multiple times a week. And every time Sam pops up into Zoom, I comment on their outfit. And I swear, like 99% of the time, I'm like, oh my God, that outfit is so cute. Where did you get it? Sam says quince. You too can upgrade your wardrobe with luxury essentials at unbeatable prices. Quince is here to transform the way you shop with a range of high quality items priced within reach. That's right. They have 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat jewelry. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middle person and passes that saving on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Y'all have heard me talk about my leather bag that I use as both a laptop bag and a diaper bag. And I love it because (laughs) (laughs) honestly, it looks really cute in every single circumstance that I use it. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash just break up. All right, head and heart workers, you know, I'm all about tackling our money shame and becoming fiscally empowered, regardless of how much money we make or how much debt we have. I think it's such a crucial step in our own self-acceptance and empowerment. That's why I love that today's episode is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. With Rocket Money, you can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, you can just cancel it with a tap. You never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled unwanted subscriptions. And listen, we always talk to you about like conflict styles and open and honest communications, but honestly, save your energy and get Rocket Money to cancel those subscriptions for you. (laughs) Stop wasting money. You don't need to practice that. Yeah. We don't need to do head and heart work with like customer service representatives. You know what I mean? Like just like... Use the middle person. (laughs) Just get Rocket Money in there to help you do what you need to do. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. That's rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. Rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. All right. Our next letter comes to us from the single friend whose pronouns are she, her, who is writing to us from The Void. Hi, Sam and Sierra. 
I hope you're both doing well. If you're reading this, thank you so much for the time and love you put into Just Breakup. It has truly helped me heal from a devastating breakup. And again, sorry, Spencer. It's truly helped me heal from a devastating breakup and regain confidence where I had lost it. Hmm. I love that. I love that for yeah. you. And thank you. <laughs> I'm a 25-year-old woman, she, her. And my question for you is, how do you deal with being the single friend? I've had a few meaningful relationships and my last relationship ended in good, true heartbreak a little over a year <laughs> and a half ago. For a long time, I was focusing on myself, listening to JVU and going to therapy and healing. So I really had no interest in settling into another relationship. I definitely had a wild phase, which was a lot of fun. No regrets there. <laughs> <laughs> love that. Also love that for you. Uh-huh. The past six months or so, though, I've been feeling ready to get back into a more serious relationship, but I'm not having success connecting with anyone. Nothing feels quite right. I've had a really happy and highly compatible relationship that ended due to distance. So I know what a great match is like for me, and I haven't found it again. This has felt really lonely and discouraging and has been and has been made infinitely worse by the fact that basically everyone in my close friends, I'm talking 13 out of 14 people that I see regularly, are in relationships, new and long-term. A lot of people in one of my groups of friends are dating each other. My roommate is super loved up with a newish boyfriend, which is hard to be around. And some of my best friends are now dating guys who are best friends, so I feel left out and really sad. My friends and therapists say I'm emotionally mature and have high standards, which is good. So it makes sense why I'm not settling for anything mediocre, but it's making me feel pretty terrible that everyone is so happy and focused on their partners and I'm struggling to find one myself. Yeah. I hate feeling resentful of my friends who are happy since I genuinely since I genuinely want them to be happy, but I can't help but feel jealous, sad, lonely, and down on myself. There have been numerous times when my close girlfriends will all bail on me for various reasons that really just have to do with their boyfriends or group settings where it's three couples and me. I was casually seeing a guy in our friend group for a bit, but it's become very clear recently that it's not a good match, so I know that is going to end, and I'm feeling super down about being super single once again. Any advice you have on how to deal with these feelings or or, and feel more confident in myself would be appreciated. Thank you so much. Thank you for writing in the single friend. Um, I'm sorry that you're in this position where you are surrounded by other people's happiness. 13 uh, out of and 14. Feeling, yeah, 13 out of 14 is a lot of people. Is a lot. And I also really love that you included this specific, <laughs> this specific <laughs> statistic. It's very charming. And also, it I'm sorry. Very, yes, absolutely. Um, and, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but people in couples are really shitty to single people. <laughs> like, yes. Just like it is a thing that is true about so many ways in which couples operate um, in that often we exclude single people from things because it's like, oh, it's a couple's thing. We're going on a couple's vacation or um, <laughs> or like we will you know, ask questions about like, when are you going to find someone? Right. Like it's we just, try to set this, them up. yeah, we try to set as them though up all they the are time. lacking or we don't set them up, even though they're asking us to do that, which is like <laughs> happens sometimes too. Um, and it's just like really challenging to be single in a world that really prioritizes and values monogamous relationships. Yes. Um, and says that people who are in those types of relationships are somehow, better or happier or more 
whole than people who aren't in those types of relationships. Um, yes. And I'm sorry that that is playing out um, for you, not just in like a society level, but also like in the level of like your close personal friendships. Yes, like, totally. The impacts of that are are really challenging. I totally agree. I, I in my notes, I wrote, this is mostly on coupled people and society. <laughs> That like our, our societal conditioning, um, tells us that we are less than when we are not coupled. Mm -hmm. Um, and at the exact same time, you know, loneliness is real and there are, there are real world ramifications for being single. And so it's, it's, it's definitely one of those yes and situations because I want to tell you single friend that like your pain is real and loneliness is real. Mm. And at the same time, you are not valued less or, or less worthy or less interesting or whatever it is because you're not in a relationship right now. Mm. Um, and I, I want to like introduce one idea that may, maybe will help you during this time. Um, to, to, to say to yourself that you don't, because you're not in your friends, um, bodies, or maybe you are consensually at times, (laughs) I'm sorry, (laughs) dumb. Uh, I just mean like, because, because you are not in these relationships and you're not in their bodies, like these people have as emotionally complex lives as you do. And some, something in your letter said like, because they're happy in relationships. And I like full stop, like, as I was reading that was like, no, 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 you don't know that actually Mm. relationships are often fraught and stressful and, Mm. and dramatic. And oftentimes, like, at least in my relationship history, like I wasn't focusing on myself. I wasn't healing. I wasn't in, in, in therapy and I wasn't prioritizing my needs. I wasn't thinking critically about who I wanted to be with. So a lot of my twenties were like, I don't know, not necessarily like a blur, but like, I don't know. I, I, I regret some relationships. Like I, re- I sure. wish I was single. Like I don't yeah. want to say that because like regret is like a pretty useless emotion. Um, and I know I learned things in those times. And I'm also hesitant to say that because like I am a mar- I, I fully recognize that I am a married person talking to a single person in response to their, their feelings their negative feelings about being single. Right. So like, I don't want to be like, it's cool. Oh my God. I wish I was single. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, I don't want to like dismiss. Yeah. I don't want to, you know, you don't want to do that weird pivot. And yep. also like, you don't know if your friends are ha- more happy than you are. Like that's a lie that society tells us that relationships sure. equate happiness. Um, you might, it, it sounds like you're a pretty like emotionally intelligent, like person who is seeking something good. And, Oftentimes when we're doing that work, it can be lonely because not everybody does it. And Mm. I don't want you to assume that the people who are coupled right now are, are, I don't know, accessing some different level of like happiness or intuition or whatever. I also want to, on that note, I want to say, um, you know, Sam has said in the past when talking about something different, like about identity, you've said like, you were you've started to think about yourself as you don't know what I'm about to say right now, do you? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> uh, you've started to say say to yourself like I am a per- I am a person who runs, not yes. a runner, right? Yep. And I think like 
if we societally, or at least in just breakup world, could start thinking about that, like, I am a person who, I am currently single, right? I am not a single person. Or I am a person who has relationships. I am not a relationship person, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Um, I, you know, this is a moment in time, and this is not a decider of who you are as an entity, if that makes yes. sense. Yes, absolutely. Right. Like you are, you are distinct from the relationships that you are a part of, right? Yes, and like, that's what you I'm know, trying like to say. Yep. You're mm-hmm. moving through these different iterations of the context that you're in, but you as a person isn't changed or damaged or even like become part of that, that context, right? Like you yes, are sort of totally. in, in a separate entity, Um, and I think that that's really important to recognize, right? Like you are not, you're not a single person, right? Like you are just a person who is experiencing singleness at this point, right? Like (laughs) who's in like a a single chapter of their life, right? But you will have other chapters. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not, I mean, like I've often described myself or like, I think linguistically we say, oh, Sierra is a married person, but Mm -hmm. I am a person who is in a marriage right now and that right. marriage like spoiler alert this marriage is going to end because because one of us is going to die or <laughs> yes <laughs> we're going to separate for whatever unknown reason in the future you know like and that's what that's what we mean like it is not it is not a core trait of you the co- core traits of you are you know that you're a human who is inherently worthy, who deserves happiness, who is on this crazy path that is life, right? Yep. That is, you know, that you deserve comfort and shelter and nurturing. You know, those are mm-hmm. core traits of humans. Yep. Um, and everything else is is decoration. Yes, and we're all born naked, and the rest is all drag, as RuPaul <laughs> says. Um, and I want to say. Even in that context too, right? Talking about this like sort of enlightened way of thinking and being, I also want to create space for the of course of this situation as well, right? Like, yes, of course you are feeling sad and lonely, right? You're surrounded by people who are who are apparently very happy in their relationships, and you had a devastating breakup not that long ago, and yes. <clears throat> you're seeing this guy and you're realizing it's not going to work out. Like, of course only, you feel only, sad only. and lonely. Bingo. Right? Like, all of those <laughs> things, right? Like, jealousy, yeah, I could totally understand. You're not you're not crazy, right? And I'm using crazy in like a, right. in like a pejorative way in the way that we would talk to ourselves about it, right? Like, yes. of course you're feeling kind of terrible about this situation, right? Like, there's a lot of things that are in, influencing you. And again, right, like, you are existing in the context of this. And even as that context is not changing who you are as a person, right, is not impacting your value, your worth, uh, your identity, right? It is still affecting you as like a human being who's existing in it. And so, right. of course, you're having all of these different reactions. You're not a bad person for feeling jealous and annoyed with your friends who are all in relationships and who are kind of treating you poorly in those relationships, right? Like, I would be pissed, too, if my friends kept canceling on me so they could go hang out with their dumb boyfriends, right? Like, dumb. understandable. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to say to you, like... Like, don't, you don't need to beat yourself up about having these feelings that you're having. Cause I think that they're really normal. And I think that they're completely understandable given what you're going through in this moment. And I want to say too, that like, 
even as you're having those feelings, it's not meaning, it doesn't mean anything about you as a person, right? It doesn't mean that you're less worthy. Even as you're sort of existing in these different, these different chapters of your life in terms of your relationships, you're also existing in different chapters of your life in terms of your emotional state too, right? Like this isn't in and of you. It is just a thing that you are experiencing. These are emotions that are not in and of you. They are just emotions that you are experiencing. So you don't need to feel bad about them and it's okay to feel bad, right? Like it's okay to just feel annoyed or frustrated, sad, lonely, all of those things. It doesn't mean that you are somehow not enlightened or that you hate your friends or that you're a bad person. It just means you're having a hard time and it's okay to have hard times. Yeah, that's exactly it. I I forgot to, to give the caveat to our advice that like my goal in this isn't to like take away your loneliness, right? Because we're allowed to feel lonely. My goal Mm -hmm. in this is to give you, as you requested, like a different way to look at it. Maybe, you know, an affirmation to say to yourself um, and and different strategies to self-soothe during this chapter of your life. And and it's just a chapter. And here's the other thing, like you're you could be single for the rest of your life and it would, there would still be different chapters in that life, right? Like this is not, again, this is just a description. This is, this is scenery of your life right now, but your life is going to continue to evolve and change. And I honestly think it's a great thing that you have this emotional maturity and high standards. This is a perfect time in your life to be honing what you want and what you don't want. It's a perfect time in your life to be able to say like, cool, this date was fun, but you are not for me. I am not for everyone. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I feel you like we're in the trenches with you. I know this sucks. I know this is a very, um, can be a very lonely and isolating time. I also want to say like, it's okay for you to say to your friends, like, Hey, can we do something without your boyfriends or like, Oh, absolutely. Yep. You know, like make sure you're taking space for nurturing your friendships and, and sometimes nurturing means asking for what you need, right? Like reminding Mm -hmm. them lovingly that like, it's not a bad thing that you're single and it's not a bad thing that they're in a relationship, but sometimes you need that solo one-on-one time to like, nurture your friendship, right? Absolutely. And to uh, all of the fellow people out there who are in relationships, stop being dicks to your single friends. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because because it inherently implies that singleness is wrong and it's and it's not. It is it is a part of life. Mm -hmm. All right, my darling, I hope that you feel like, I don't know, heard and listened to and loved and supported. And maybe you have some new tools in your tool belt for navigating this time of your life. We love you so much. Thank you so much for writing. We hope this helps. All right. Our last letter comes from Heartbroken Chess Piece, whose pronouns are she, her, and who is writing from the past. Hey, Sam and Sierra, despite gaining valuable emotional tools through therapy and listening to hours and hours of your wonderful advice, my heart is currently aching and I just don't know what to do. Content warning for cheating, self-harm, depression, and attempted suicide. I, she, her went to university in 2015. I had a boyfriend back home, but the relationship was fairly juvenile. So I think everyone, including us, expected us to break up. I just didn't expect it to happen so quickly. Within days of being on campus, I met a guy, he, him, who I'll call B. B was charming and our connection was instant and unreal. Major sparks, on fire, in space. B quickly quickly fell head over heels in love with me and wasn't exactly quiet about it. 
I felt a lot of pressure from him, but I wasn't equipped to handle it. So I ended up in several situations with B that felt uncomfortable to me as somebody who wasn't single. Mm. I realized that regardless of what might happen with B, I needed to break up with my boyfriend. B and I shared our first kiss soon after. I was really feeling overwhelmed and told B I wasn't ready to jump from one relationship to another and I needed time. B interpreted this as me using him as a casual hookup and became aloof. The next time I saw him, he had a nasty wound on his knuckles. I believe he punched a wall when he found out that I wasn't ready to be with him. Despite our wobbles, B and I soon built a monogamous relationship and it was my turn to fall head over heels. One day we were chatting over text and he told me that he was meeting one of the lads from back home at the train station. But when he sent me a photo of them, it turned out to be a girl. I asked why he had called her one of the lads and he said it was because he didn't want me to worry about her being a threat to our relationship. A couple months later, B began to withdraw. He could be cold and sometimes he wouldn't properly respond to my texts. On good days, usually when we were in my room alone, we were deeply in love and happy. But B's communication was becoming blunt and confusing. We started speaking more over text than in person. Eventually, B said he would explain everything the next time he saw me, but that everything was fine. I was concerned and urged him to tell me then. He suddenly snapped and said, fine, my depression has come back. I was worried about B as he had told me a few years before we met that he had tried to kill himself. I told him I'd support him no matter what, but his messages were still confusing and it felt like he didn't want me around sometimes, especially when his friends were nearby. I often felt like the unhealthy presence in our relationship. He seemed irate and annoyed by my need for reassurance and better communication. After a few weeks, we finally had a big talk in person and he said that he would break up with me because he couldn't support a relationship when his depression was this bad. He then retracted it, but just a week later, he came to me again and we broke up for good. What followed was an agonizing semester of me being hyper aware of B and monitoring his well-being from afar. I felt like I wasn't allowed near him, despite us supposedly still loving each other. I had to watch everyone else interact with him as normal. It was unbearably painful, and I spun out, but somehow got through the school year. The following year, B and I stayed distant. His mental health was poor, and I trusted those around him to keep an eye on him. One night, a conversation with one of our mutual friends revealed that B had supposedly told Lad Girl that he loved her not even a week after breaking up with me. Then a couple of weeks later, B and I ended up at the same party. B initially pretended not to recognize me, but then we got to talking. I'm sorry, pretended not to recognize me. It's just a low blow. I know, I know, I know. I asked about the confession of the love to Lad Girl, and B convinced me that our mutual friend was lying to me out of jealousy. B then invited me back to his house where we slept together. I remember being in disbelief that B, the love of my life, was letting me back in. I kept asking, are you sure? And is this what you want? B assured me that it was and that we should get back together. I texted him when I got home and the next morning and then all went silent. A few days later, I asked if he was regretting what happened, but his response was uncertain and confused. I then ran into him at a local bar and he was so angry with me. He told me off for being at the bar and for the night that we had together. I took myself home in confused sadness, and soon after, B took time out of university. The months without B on campus were liberating. I felt more like myself than ever, until one day I exited a building to see B outside looking right at me. My friend said I looked like I had seen a ghost, and I had. My ghost was back. I muddled through the last year of uni with minimal contact from B. From what I gathered, he was now in a relationship with Lad Girl. Although one night, I was leaving a bar with a mutual acquaintance that I was hooking up with, and B was there too. He was watching, and he seemed jealous. 
Our last encounter was on graduation night. Everyone was leaving the bar and B was outside. I asked my housemate to walk on so I could say goodbye to B. I approached him and we began talking. He was the guy I had met three years earlier, encouraging, loving, charming. He hugged me tightly as if he never wanted to let me go, and I hugged him back. He told me that he still thought about my smile and that he would always love me. He walked me home and I said I wanted to kiss him, but he said that we shouldn't. I realized a few months later that he was probably still with Lad Girl at the time of that conversation, hence his hesitance to kiss me. And our mutual friend who warned me about their confession of love was probably right. I spent the next few years processing everything and trying to figure out the timeline, but I knew I probably wouldn't ever know exactly what happened. That is until recently when I realized something so obvious. B would almost have certainly been in a relationship with Lad Girl the night he invited me back to his house to sleep together. Suddenly, his anger and his accusation made sense, not as something I did wrong, but as something that he did wrong. Now I had to process that I was the person he cheated with, not the person he cheated on. It added a whole new layer of hurt. I spent so long trying to navigate being the victim of a transgression, and now I had to process that the transgression was actually against Lad Girl, and I was B's pawn in it. I feel, for lack of a better word, icky. I look back at the old messages and everything makes sense. I think B even tried to hint towards the truth a few times, but always reverted back to his depression as being the cause. I can see everything I wrote and I want to hug my 18-year-old self. The poor girl was so confused and thought she had done something to deserve her white knight being so cruel to her. I went for a drive today to encourage an emotional release. A few small tears fell out, but mostly I just wanted to scream in anguish. It feels like a heartbreak I left in the past has come back with a vengeance. I would love to know your thoughts on the situation. Do I reach out to B and ask to meet up like an amnesty where we lay down our weapons and explain the truth once and for all? Is it my moral duty or none of my business to track down Lad Girl and tell her about this? Or do I just accept that some truths will always stay buried and guide myself through this resurfaced heartbreak? And how do I come to terms with realizing that I was being used as the other woman? Sam and Sierra, I'm out of my depth here. Thank you for even reading this and for all the warmth you and Spencer pour into the podcast each week. All my love, brokenhearted chess piece. I love when Spencer gets love. Me too. All right, my darling heartbroken chess piece. I'm so sorry that this is weighing on your heart. Um, And this whole story just like reminded me of the, I don't know if you relate to this, Sam, but like when a chaotic relationship or a relationship in whatever form sort of feels like it defines an era of your life. And so Mm -hmm. it becomes not Mm -hmm. just grieving the relationship, (laughs) but like, you know, this person, it sounds like B has really been a part of their um, periphery even, you know, like B has been there from the beginning of university to the end in some form. And like, there's such a grief about that. Um, And as the letter writer said, like their first real, like the love of their life, you know, it's hard unpacking the past in that way and figuring out how to, how to carry it in a new way now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that they're, I love the idea of like, relationships defining entire eras of our life, even if we're not in them, (laughs) right? Like (laughs) just like the presence of that person in the world is like somehow defining our experience of it. Um, Oh my God. I'm literally, (laughs) I didn't even think about this when I said it out loud, but now I know who my era was, my era relationship. I was, and I never fucking dated that (laughs) motherfucker. Like we were never together. And yet that relationship (laughs) defined an era. (laughs) Oh, for sure. And coincidentally, I feel like it was like, the time between like 19 and like 24. 
Mine uh, was unfortunately like 21 to 25, really. That fucker. <laughs> no, that's actually, mine is also 21 to 25. So Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway. Um, what fools that we were in our, in our early 20s. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, uh, my darling, back to you. Uh, couple couple initial responses before I get to the crux of my advice. Um, one, uh, it sounds like B has some patterns of emotional intensity in his relationships. Like the fact that he was like, oh my God, obsessed with you right away. And even you back then were like... This is a lot. What's going on? And then for him to to move on so quickly, um, which is nothing against moving on so quickly, but to say that you love somebody within a week, um, you know, sounds like they have some uh, love bombing is what it sounds thank like. You. <laughs> thank you. Um, but I'm not here to talk about B um, because I'm not in his body. I don't know his life. And actually, that was one of the things I wanted to point out. There were several statements of assumption in this letter that I just wanted to highlight. Like you assumed that he punched a wall, which is like, again, I'm not in this relationship. I don't know. Your re- I don't I wasn't there. Right. He very well could have said I punched a wall, <laughs> you know, and you're just assuming why or whatever. But like. Mm-hmm. We don't know. We don't know what happened there. Um, you assumed that he was jealous when you saw him out. Again, I wasn't there. Um, and even assuming that he was with this person when you slept together later, um, the shitty part of this letter response is that 90% of what I'm about to say is just like, we don't know. We don't know. Uh-huh. We don't know what happened. We don't, we don't, we don't know what is true. And also, unfortunately, truth is often subjective to each person's experience. I feel like the last mm. questions you ask us of like, should I reach out and and like an amnesty and figure out what the real truth is? Well, I want to know what your truth is. Like, what is your truth that has nothing to do with him? Your truth is it sounds like this relationship was intense and also volatile at times and not sustainable, right? Mm-hmm. It's yep. your truth is that you are hurt by this person. Your yep. truth is that you constantly had needs met and were made to feel as though you um, were asking for too much or that like um, you were the issue, you were the, you said you were the unhealthy thing in the relationship. You were, you were taught to feel that way by this person. And mm-hmm. that doesn't really seem very healthy or, or I don't know, nurturing to me that, I point that out because I want you to start honing in on what your truth is because you could find out all of the answers in the world from this person and still not feel closure because his answers will differ from yours. And I know it's mm-hmm. hard to believe, but like these wounds are are got to be self-healed. These wounds are yep. are ours to heal and not others. Yeah, absolutely. And also like, he could be lying, right? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like you, you believe that he's lying. He's been lying about this relationship. You believe that he's been lying about a bunch of other things. So like, why would you, we suddenly believe him now if he told you what you wanted to hear? You know what I mean? So like, totally. why are you trusting him more than you're trusting your own experience? Which again, like Sierra said, the, the reason why doesn't matter as much as the fact that like this man was a dick to you. And doesn't yeah. deserve to be in your life. And you can feel whatever way you want to about that, right? There can be anger. There can be sadness. There can be resentment. All of those different things can Grief. come up. But 
right? Grief, but I want you to focus on that rather than trying to find a way to explain how or why this happened. Um, Because I think that, I think that this desire to want to explain why all of these things happened is tied to this, this idea that if I can know what happened, then I can prepare myself for the next relationship and I can prevent those bad things from happening again. But what I want you to pay more attention to is how you feel and how you were treated in the relationship, not on what are the things that led that person to treat me poorly, right? Like I want you to focus on what did it feel like to be in this relationship where this person, for whatever reason it was, justified or not justified, was mean to me and say, I don't want to be in a relationship with people who are mean to me, even if it's justified, right? Even if there's like 17 different explanations or excuses Mm. for why they're being mean to me. Mm. And I think sometimes in relationships or in these types of situations, we don't want to focus on that pain because it's easier to say, well, if this pain has some sort of reason behind it, it'll hurt less. But I can yes. tell you, it does not hurt less. It just, there's just more hurt there, right? Like there's yes. just like, there's just, until we begin to, um, to understand and accept the fact that this is deeply painful, um, and that sometimes things are painful just because they're painful. Yeah, uh, it's going to be hard to move on from it because you're always going to be digging and searching for what is the thing, what's the reason, what is the, where's the justice in this, and that doesn't exist. It is completely subjective. There is no one truth in this situation, like Sierra said, and you're never going to know it because even the even if you get information from this man, he is not a reliable narrator for you. He mm. is. He is not invested in the truth. And why would he be, right? Because it's not it's not his job and it hasn't served him. So what is the truth for you? Like Sierra said, the pain, the pain of this and the experience of yeah. this heartbreak and the fact that this person that you loved treated you like shit and how difficult that is to accept and realize. But him treating you like shit had nothing to do with you, right? It's not yeah. like you asked for it. It's not like you deserved it. And yeah. there may not be a another or a reason for it that will somehow bring clarity to you. Yes. The clarity has to come from the clarity of this sucks and it was awful and I don't deserve it. I deserve something right. different. Right. And it doesn't have to be all awful. Like I know you had those sparks. Like I know you had that goodness, for sure. right? For sure. It can be nostalgic. It can be bittersweet. And also you can say, man, we had some good times. And also I don't deserve to feel like I'm a problem in a relationship. Right. And I also want to say like, I'm not so naive to say like getting more information doesn't satiate us. Right. (laughs) Like I, before I said like, you know, you could have all the answers in the world and you are still not going to find closure here. And like, I, I believe that. <laughs> and yep. also I know that I like, I relate deeply with the urge to know, to understand, to, to, to seek for, to figure out why this hurts so much, you know, like, or to figure out the truth, you know, and yes, some clarity does bring more understanding, right? Yep. Some answers do, do paint a bigger, broader picture. And also at the end of the day, the like, so what if you find out he was cheating on his girlfriend with you? What does that bring you other than a more specific picture, right? What do you yep. need from it? The, what do you need from this picture, right? To move on 
Do you need more details? Do you want to know? Do you want to dig your finger into that wound more? Or are you going to say, I'm going to, I don't want to put energy here anymore. I'm just going to say this was what it was. And I know it is not for me anymore, mm-hmm. right? What is for me? You know, what other relationships out there can I foster romantic and otherwise or with myself um, in which it, I will strengthen the backbone that Sam, Sam reference? Like, how can I strengthen the desire in me um, to to get my needs met, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And to be to be treated well. And like, it seems like all of the signs are pointing to the fact that this, that he may have had a girlfriend while he was dating you, but that doesn't need to be independently verified, right? Like it's your life. He's not in it anymore. You can believe what you want to believe about him if it's helpful for you. So if you want to believe that he was in a relationship and that's the explanation for his behavior, cool, great. Believe that. There are things that I believe about my exes that are helpful for me to not think about them anymore. (laughs) Right. Like, right. And it doesn't, I don't, it doesn't need to be verified. Right. Like it does, you can just believe it because at the end of the day, the objective truth of whether or not he was in a relationship doesn't matter as much as the fact as what tools are you using to help you discreate distance between yourself and him, Mm. between the relationship that you were having that was toxic and not helpful for you and what you want from your future, what you want to be moving towards. And if that means that you have to tell yourself, yep, he had a girlfriend. So fuck him. Cool. Great. Love that. As long as it's helping you create distance and not acting like a magnet to draw you further into the bullshit that is this man's experience with you. Yeah. Uh, Honestly, like I'm sitting here thinking like it is just the most human instinct to want to know, you know, like we want to look at those car accidents. We want to know exactly if you cheated on me. I want to know exactly what that fucking I want to know what you were wearing. I want to know what you did to her. You know what I mean? Like I, (laughs) you know, it's like such a sadistic fucking urge in us humans. But you know what? I just want to share like heartbroken chest piece. The last time I was cheated on. And I sought these types of details and I sought this, quote, truth. It was, I did not, it, that was a poisonous, soured beverage for me to swallow. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, was, it did not make things better. And so I just yep. want to just reiterate what Sam said there is that, like, it's more about focusing how are you putting distance, not just between this person and you, because we see that there is love there. We see that this relationship was important to you at one time and maybe still is, right? But more, how are you creating distance between these behaviors, um, this acceptance of these behaviors and your present self? Um, are there things, Sam, that you want to know like, like, is there clarification like this that you want to know about your exes or like situations out there that like irks you that you have to put to bed? Because I think that's mm-hmm. what I'm getting at is like, I don't know if the urge to know the quote truth or the details of, of some painful, some painful things. Like, I want to talk about how that desire goes away. Like, how do we actually practice not scratching that itch you know like not looking back at the photos not digging into their instagram or how do we you know that desire is there and it's not about not feeling desire it's about not entertaining it yeah i think um part of what i had to do was focus on the ways in which that person harmed me right and like 
yeah, there were for sure things of being like, okay, that night that you didn't come home, like what happened? Or like all of the stuff that it's like, I could get lost in the details. But mm. the reality is, is like the fact that you didn't come home that night crossed a boundary, right? Like, and it doesn't matter what happened in that thing because it was not okay regardless of what happened. I mean, if like he was in the hospital or something, he clearly was not in the hospital. He just like didn't come home. Um, but like focusing on that kind of stuff helped me spend less time in the what if, what if, what if, what if. And when stuff like, when I would be like, well, what did he do? What did he do? I'd have to be like, it doesn't matter yes. because the thing is, is that he hurt me. That's, that's the focus. He crossed the boundary. He didn't do the thing he was going to do. He treated me badly. That's the thing that is, we don't need other reasons, right? Like we don't need 17,000 other reasons why we're justified in our hurt. We can just yeah. say, we can trust our own experiences and say, that felt shitty. And there was no apology. There was no changed behavior. And so it doesn't matter whether or not he he did a bad thing or a worse thing. Like it's bad enough that he treated me poorly. And that's the thing to focus on. Yes. And also, you know, to your last question, how do I come to terms with realizing I was used as the other woman? Like, so if that was what was happening, which it very well could have, um, you know, you say like, oh, not all people are for me. Not all messes are mine, right? Not uh -huh. all journeys are mine. Um, wow, I'm glad that I'm not a part of that chaos anymore. Let me extricate myself from this, you know? Yep. We... You cannot, just like we can't move through life without like disappointing people, we cannot move through life without getting into messes, right? But we can leave <laughs> them, right? We yep. can say, this is not my mess to clean up. This isn't your mess to clean up. This is not your partner. This is not your moral obligation to clean this up, right? No, definitely Your not. obligation is to yourself and to your healing. And again, how can you create better patterns within yourself, create closure within yourself to recognize that you don't deserve to be in a relationship like, ship like this in the future. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you didn't do anything wrong in that situation, right? Like, how do you, how do you justify it? Or how do you understand being the other woman? Like you didn't know, like you were tricked. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's how, I, like, I think so often we're like, oh, you're like a homewrecker or whatever. Like I made this huge mistake and now I've hurt this person. Like, no, he hurt this person. And you yeah. were, you were, a you were a pawn in that. Um, yes. Again, if that's even true. And, but again, and that sucks, right? For sure. And Absolutely. I think that a lot, what drew me to this question is like, there's so much in here that like, is yearning. We yearn for clarity. We yearn for mm. understanding. We yearn for our pain to have a purpose, right? We like, what do I, the, the injustice of being the other woman, the injustice of this heartbreak, the injustice of not knowing what the truth is or isn't. And unfortunately, a lot of life is just accepting that these emotional injustices are never going to feel great right they're never going to come <laughs> yeah i was going to say something much better but that's the only thing that no, i, can I like think that. Of. you know they're never going to you know the only thing that for me that makes these injustices like the fact that i was cheated on a million times and then was dumped by this person um the only thing that makes me feel better about it is like i know i'm not in that relationship anymore time right emotional dif distance the, a closure within myself that i know like 
I don't deserve that anymore. Right. And that I, an understanding that I would do something differently if I found myself in that situation again, but also like the injustice that that time was shitty and painful. Like that's, that's a part of life. Just saying Mm -hmm. like, I cannot change that past. I, I cannot change that this terrible thing happened to me and I have to sit with it. I have to say, okay, this is a part of life. Like this pain, this rejection, this hurt, this confusion, this screaming in the car is a part of my life. And it it, it is right alongside my joys and my triumph and my love and the sparks and the, mm-hmm. and, and the, the pleasure, you know, that these things come hand in hand. And a part of enjoying the good stuff is also recognizing that the bad stuff is always going to be there too. And For I don't sure. mean to be that, in, I don't mean that in a nihilistic way, but so much of this letter to me is about the yearning for something unjust and painful to not be that. But there's yep. some empowerment in the radical acceptance that it is just this and that we cannot, there's, if, if you learn more about this pain, it's not going to make it more justifiable, right? Yes. Again, like I, with the caveat that I know, like for me, processing things after they've happened, like can lead to greater understanding but the closure doesn't come from figuring out what this dude's truth is that hurt you and potentially mm-hmm. put you in a position you didn't want to be in. Yep, absolutely. So I'm really sorry that you are experiencing this renewed heartbreak that these sort of um, revelations... Renewed heartbreak, that's it, yeah. man. Uh, fuck that. <laughs> um, ...are causing you to feel um, all of these different things over and over again. Um but just remember that your pain is real. It doesn't need yeah. to be justified. It doesn't need to have an excuse or an explanation for you to feel it and to want to hold people accountable or create distance between you and the people who have harmed you. Yeah. Um, and my hope for you is that you're able to find a way to put this to bed for yourself um, and to find the opportunity to look for something that's going to be more nutritious for you rather than spending time trying to find clarity in something that is always going to be cloudy and that is always going to be incredibly difficult to parse. Yes, absolutely. All right, my darling, we hope that this brings you some closure. Like I said, it's, (laughs) it's not going to come from us. It's going to come from you, but hopefully it'll like, (laughs) you know, start to pave the path to closure. For sure. For sure. I love that. We, We love you. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for writing. All right, everyone. This brings us to the blind date segment of our episode. This is when we try and set you up with something that we think you are really going to like. This week, our blind date is... It's a book actually by one of our Just Breakup listeners. Um, Olivia Derica is a cartoonist and a writer um, frequently for The New Yorker. And um, she recently published a book of drawings and stories called Drawn Together Illustrated True Love Stories. And it's a series of like comics and stories about relationships in Olivia's circles, um, people that she's met and their origin stories about like how they got together. And it also Mm. includes like adorable little musings about um, uh, Olivia's life and their relationships and and how they are drawn to love and love stories. And I thought it's Uh, perfect for our Just Breakup listeners. It's like a great gift. It's very charming. It's an easy read. And it's very, um, I I found myself just last night, like asking my mother-in-law how she met and fell in love with um, my wife's father. 
And I think like it's very charming to hear people's origin stories and how they overcame certain things or like what what was important to them, what the spark was, what the spark wasn't, you know. So it's a very charming book. And I think you should check it out. It's called Drawn Together, Together Illustrated True Love Stories by Olivia Derica, spelled D-E-R-E-C-A-T. I love it. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Just Break Up Pod. You can slide into our DMs, send us your favorite relationship memes, but most importantly, you can submit your ma- uh, questions about all matters of the heart at JustBreakUpPod.com, which is also where you can find our merchandise and tickets to our upcoming live show happening in St. Paul, Minnesota on September 30th. Uh, you can find tickets for that show at JustBreakUpPod.com. Please remember to follow, subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts and consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you'll get an additional bonus weekly episode. That's patreon.com slash justbreakuppod. This literally keeps our mics on and helps us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two random strangers giving them relationship advice. Just Break Up is a production of Duvid Media, original music producing managing, recording, all fucking magical things by our amazing friend, Spencer Worth Davis, aka Big Cats. Make sure to check out his most recent podcast, Finding Quantum Quest. And remember, being in a relationship does not equate happiness. You are enough when you are alone. You are enough when you are single. You are not less than when you are going through something by yourself. Where you are in life is beautiful and chaotic and complex and full of heaviness and lightness. And it is exactly where you are meant to be right now. And if all else fails, just break up.